gentlemen, and welcome to the That's What She Said podcast. My name is Alexa Dat. I will be your host. I'm joined by producer Kyle and audio engineer Joey here at Studio 54. Today we're going to get into a little bit of Jose Reyes talk. I have an interesting story that I think you guys will find unique and also, you know, a, a thing that a lot of people go through and a perspective that's different than what a lot of people have talked about Jose Reyes up to this point. We're going to talk a little bit about Noah Syndergaard and the Adam Rubin Kleenex tissue box situation because I thought that was really fun. And then a little later in the show, Julianne Viani will join us to give us her unique perspective on the Great Pat Summit. So we will get to all of that. But first, I want to talk about something that happened to me last night, Kyle. I was on the Damon Amendolara show. They call it the DA show on CBS Sports Radio. And they caught me in kind of a heated moment. First of all, they were promoing the next day's show and talking about how Joey Chestnut was going to come in. And, you know, he's the hot dog. Yeah, he's the champ. hot dog guy. So they were talking about having fans call in and recommend anything you could put on top of a hot dog. And I said, when they introduced me, I said, you know what? I'm kind of offended. I would have loved to have been here for the hot dog show because I love putting random toppings on food. And then I brought up the fact that I eat the s'mores bacon on a stick out at City Field. Well, the second that I brought that up, we talked about it for like 15 minutes on the show. And it basically made me look like all I do is sit around and eat pork. And then he started asking me about walk-up songs. I wasn't, like, I couldn't really name walk-up songs. So it really makes me look like I just sit there and eat food. I, like, don't really do anything or pay attention to what's going on. It's just, like, pork and maybe, like, occasionally I can tell you who's up. And and that's really it. I look like an idiot. I was so embarrassed. So basically, when we were talking about it, and, and, you know, he was talking all about my career. And he had brought up a couple of things. You know, I'm a Redskins fan and stuff. But he had also mentioned my wedding venue and was asking about my wedding venue. And I was like, how did you find that information out? Well, I guess the third thing on Google when you Google me is our wedding website, which is still up, which I don't really know how to take down. I don't know what I do there. I guess I just contact yeah, you, you're not the very website. Great. I mean, you probably just take it down. Like if you log what, in. But what does that mean? Like, what what do you mean? Just take it down? I don't know what that means. Well, I'm also fairly certain that everything on the internet exists forever. So exactly, that's be, what I'm saying. It'll always be yeah, there. there you're, it's always going to be there. So I was making the joke that I really don't do anything if the third thing that you Google is my wedding website from five years ago. Meanwhile, I do a bunch of things. One of them is go on CBS Sports Radio and trash FedEx Field, which I'm like so regretful for. Are you never going back to FedEx Field now? Well, I don't... You're waiting till they build the new one with a moat? So I called it garbage. And you know how I get kind of on like a thing? Like I just get kind of out of control about something. You? Right. Okay. And I just kind of, like, it just kind of comes out. Well, that's what happened. And they were, like, smiling and thought it was really funny. So I just, like, kept running with it. And I kept saying it's garbage. And listen, it's not my favorite stadium. It doesn't have much personality. It is, like I said, just a big cement block kind of dropped in the middle of nowhere. The parking isn't that fantastic. There's no food that really stands out to me. The field isn't that great. But... I just kept calling I mean, it garbage on right a now. national radio show. And the one quote, of course, that they keep retweeting out linked to the audio of the show is me calling FedEx garbage. And not like anyone cares what I think because I'm nobody. But I just don't want anyone going to Dan Snyder like, hey, do you hear this girl who's been trashing your stadium? 
I don't know. He might turn around and go, I don't know who that, that is, and I don't really care, which is fine and would probably be accurate. He might also decide he has a blood feud against you after that. Well, yeah, and that's probably not somebody I want to take on. Um, you know, and and I also wanted to reiterate that I have nothing against the organization or the players. It's, it wasn't a human form that I was calling garbage. It was the actual FedEx field stadium that I was saying wasn't my favorite. Anyway, we kind of took it and ran with it, and they keep tweeting about it, and I called Peter, and I was like, ah, I'm feeling a little guilty and a little nervous because what if people start coming after me about this? And he's like, it's okay. Maybe you just hit them up and say, like, hey, can we highlight something else that I talked about? I was like, oh, yeah, they're also doing that. They're highlighting the bacon on a stick. So literally, I'm just the girl that, like, eat, eats pork and trashes FedEx Field. In your defense, bacon on a stick is kind of delicious. So, like, I, I wouldn't be too upset about that one. Well, also because it's covered in chocolate and then rolled in graham crackers and then doused in marshmallow. It's amazing. I mean, you could tell that I've done a million infomercials for it, sure. But also, I've eaten it, and it's really good. Have you only had it that one time, though, and you were like, this is really good? Because that sounds like a 9,000-calorie just bomb of a day. Yeah, I had it it once last year, and then I had a couple bites of it this year when we did the the infomercial for it. Because you can't really eat it more than once a season, especially if you're supposed to be maintaining your figure if you happen to be on the scoreboard. But at least I didn't trash anything at City Field. That was a, a pro that came out of it's yesterday. It's because City Field is an actual nice place to go. Like even it if is you're really not, nice. Even if you're not a Mets fan, it's just a fun place to go watch a baseball game if you're into that kind of thing. But yeah. there's also lots of different beers and great food. Like it's a, it's a good time just to be there for a few hours. Well, and Gary Cohen made the point the other day on the broadcast that you can see the action on the field from any point on the concourse. On yeah. the main level field, you know, field level concourse at City Field, which is very unique to City Field. Most stadiums, if you get up and leave your seat, that's it. You don't see the action. You can see it on TVs walking by. But when you're at City Field, if you want to go out and go hang out at one of the plazas or if you want to go grab food, you can turn around and still see Noah Syndergaard on the mound. Yeah. Which it- is an, an amazing experience. I don't know if I'm making up for the fact that I trashed FedEx by big upping city field but i just i feel kind of guilty and i didn't want anyone to think that it had anything to do with me trashing the organization or saying anything negative about the organization i love the redskins and they've hosted us there before and not anymore we've had such a good time i know by the way they're building a new stadium which i'll probably be blacklisted from they're just going to throw you in the moat like you're allowed to come but they're just going to throw you in the moat and like by the way if they have a moat i'm going back on cbs sports radio and calling that place (laughs) trash Why would you have a moat? We have all these, you know, people walking in drunk. They're just going to fall into the moat. I guess every this isn't Game st- of Thrones. I guess every stadium now has to have a new, unique feature to it. So yeah, they want to come up with a different. Theirs one. was let's let's have a moat. I just hope that there's drawbridges leading into it that they can raise and lower as they so deem fit. Maybe this is Dan's way of preparing for the zombie apocalypse. Like he's like, I got a moat. I can just lock myself in here and I'm good to go. But there are going to be people in the moat. Oh no doubt. In kayaks. I, there's going to be people in the moat, just in the moat from falling, like kayaks. They, there's going to be people who will just fall into it because, as you said, drunken idiots. Yeah. Well, I do like the zombie apocalypse theory because yeah. if that happens, Snyder's really prepared. But that's only if he's got the drawbridges. It doesn't work like any other way. Well, it also doesn't work for me because I wouldn't be allowed in. You can tell I've put a lot of thought into this, by the way, so maybe we should move on. You watch too much Walking Dead. Yeah, I watch a lot of too much things. Speaking of me getting myself into trouble on Twitter, 
So I wanted to talk a little bit about the domestic violence issue with Jose Reyes and coming to the Mets and whether it was worth it and what the fans thought. So I was doing so I was doing a Twitter search and I came up with across a lot of fans who had different feelings about Reyes, some wanting him back, some not. And I understood both sides and I my feeling about it is very much an understanding of both sides and that's kind of where I land. But there was one specific instance when I was searching on Twitter of a young woman who was mocking the situation. And that is where I drew the line. I got pretty upset. And she had posted something saying that she was excited to have him back. And there was a guy who had responded saying, you know, he was man enough to beat his wife. And she said, well, you know, he can slap me around anytime. And I just, it kind of stopped me in my tracks and made me realize I don't know how serious people really take this situation. So what I ended up doing was I got in contact with someone who knew her and I let them know how I felt about it. And I said, I just want to bring this to your attention and I think it's inappropriate. Do with it what you want. I was not suggesting that anything happened to her or anything along those lines. I really just wanted it to be brought to her attention And I feel like if you are a parent or a sibling or a coach or a teacher of anyone out there, younger or otherwise, who has access to social media, we need to keep reminding people about how to be smart using it. Having a conversation once with your younger brother saying, hey, don't be an idiot on Twitter is not going to get through to them to the point where they won't then go mess up later. It needs to be a constant reminder because they are tweeting and Instagramming all the time. I mean, constantly and almost without thought. I will take 20 minutes to compose a tweet. And I'm serious about this because I will go over and think about who it impacts, who I'm talking about, because I'm taking my thoughts and putting it down on writing and sending it out to thousands of people. And one, I don't want to look like an idiot. I don't want to hurt anyone. And I want what I'm trying to convey to actually get across to people, and that's hard to do in 140 characters. So I'll take a lot of time and go over it and think about it, but I'm also a you know, professional, and I do this for a living. For people who don't, I understand that it's a little different, but they have to also, they have to also be held accountable for their actions. It's not fair to let people just run wild on Twitter and have them say whatever they want in situations like this, especially if I can say something about it, which I did. And when I was talking to Peter, he was like, I don't know, do you feel kind of like a snitch? I was like, ah, kind of. But at the same time, I feel like something needed to be said about it because it was really inappropriate. And if somebody can learn from that situation and maybe going forward not say something to that degree, well, then I think it benefited everyone because I don't have to see it anymore. I hope that her boss or whoever contacted her and and talked to her about it let her know that it was inappropriate and that going forward she shouldn't make comments like that. And then, you know, she learns from it too because she learns that her actions on Twitter affect other people. And she's not just talking to her sister or her friends. She's talking to thousands of people. It's a public forum. There's there's like a fine line with how far you can take things on the internet that I think gets crossed – a lot like there's people who do stuff mockingly like on twitter um and instagram and all that and i partake in some of the internet trolling like when you know you might be playing like an online game or something like that we tend to be just the worst people to each other um 
but uh, you know, I saw those tweets you had showed me yesterday, and the one that started it just was it was fucked up. <laughs> That's like the best way I can you know put it for him for the what the guy had said. Like we all think that we have the ability, you know, we all think that oh we should just hit our wives every now and then and. Jose Reyes was man enough to do it. I mean, I was appalled. I was appalled. Uh, and you get trash like that on Twitter all the time. I guess he doesn't have a lot of followers, so he probably doesn't give a shit what he's saying. And then I, giving him the benefit of the doubt, I suppose he was trying to be funny. But I've heard comedians in context make, you know, jokes like that. Daniel Tosh comes to mind, and but his was like a really specific thing. And you also know what you're getting when you go to like a Daniel Tosh show. Right. This like, guy is not a comedian. Yeah. Uh, when you're going into a forum that it's, oh, it's like Anthony Jeselnik, who is a shock comedian who will say things in that moment that maybe once or twice you've thought in the back of your head, but then you're like, eh, no, nah, I'm, I'm not going to say that or act upon it. You know what you're getting. And if you don't like it, you don't have to pay the money to go to it. But on Twitter, anyone can just be like, ah, I have this terrible idea and I'm going to put it forth and see what happens. Well, also, if you have a job, if you are any sort of respected professional, not only are you speaking for yourself, you're speaking for your company, the organization, you're speaking for your family, if your family's also on Twitter, because if you can be linked to your family and, you know, somebody can say, oh, Blank's daughter was saying this or that, other people can then link that back to your parents or to your siblings or to your boss. And it affects way more people than just the individual that you're tweeting at and yourself. So I just wanted to put that out there, and I'm not the Twitter police. I've written some really dumb things on Twitter, too, not to that extent, for sure. But I also wanted to bring a little bit of awareness to it, because, yes, yeah, sometimes we get desensitized, and we don't realize that when something big happens in, in the media, we tend, to, we tend to drown it out and not pretend it is as serious as it is, and we can joke about it. And, yes, I understand that... that there's humor in things that happen, and that's how a lot of people deal with it. But this specifically was, it, it just rubbed me the wrong way. And to be honest, I don't really find anything humorous about domestic violence. I don't know, I don't get the joke if there is one. I don't think there is, but whoever's laughing about it, I'm not laughing with them. So I just wanted to point that out and, you know, just say if you're out there and you're tweeting, just be careful and think twice about what you actually are putting out in the Twitter sphere. We'll see what ends up happening, but I just wanted to definitely put my foot down on people making jokes about it because that's really inappropriate. But something that was really funny yesterday that actually played out on Twitter also was what happened between Noah Syndergaard and Adam Rubin. And you were living under some sort of a rock, Kyle, that was, you didn't I hear I was living under happened. margaritas on the rocks. That was yesterday. Yeah, apparently. Kyle's hungover doing not, this podcast. I'm not, I'm not Showed I'm not up late. Oh, jeez. He, he claims it was the train. The train's a good excuse. Like you mean the train to Drunk Town? All right. One passenger, you. The one train has shut down for the time being, and I am getting immense amounts of crap. You know how many times it. that people in this this city have talked about trains breaking down? It's like a small violin. Like nobody cares. Yeah. Well, it happened. You were late. I got a cab just for you, so I hope you're happy about it. Well, yeah. Put it on my tab. Yeah. So I'll explain this story and what ended up happening. Noah Syndergaard and Terry Collins lied about Noah's bone spur. You know, Stephen Matz had one, then the organization leaked that Noah had one. So everyone knew about it, and the media knew about it after the game. And when they asked Noah and Terry about it, they both denied it. So essentially, Adam Rubin from ESPN wrote an article saying, 
stating both those facts, that someone from the organization had said that there is a chance that Noah has a bone spur and that Noah vehemently denied it. Come the next day, we find out, no, it absolutely is true, and Noah lied. So Adam Rubin's standing in front of Noah's locker, and as Noah's admitting that he lied, he hands a box of tissues to Adam Rubin, because Adam, after he had found out that Noah lied, went on Twitter and was like, you know what? I've been doing this a long time, and when athletes or players lie to me, the relationship changes. And was sad. And was saying, you know, it's really tough. It's tough when guys just lie right to your face. And so Noah saw that. And when Adam was at his locker the next day, because basically Adam made it sound like he was being broken up with by his high school girlfriend. (laughs) He was like, relationships just change. You know, I'm like totally bummed out. Noah gave him a box of tissues and was like, hey, this is for the waterworks if you need these, if it ever starts again. And Twitter had a field day with it. So I understand both perspectives. In terms of Noah being funny and Adam wanting to vent on Twitter because Adam's just there to do his job. He's there to collect facts. That's what his job is. And when you're trying to collect facts and get the truth and you get anything but the truth because apparently he can't handle it. I don't know why. Noah didn't want to use it as an excuse. Uh, uh, Honestly, that's what he had said which I understand, but if you're going to end up having to come out and say something about it eventually, which you know is going to be the case because somebody in the organization leaked it, then it just makes sense to say it from jump. And then you won't have Adam Rubin being sad that he got broken up with, essentially, by Noah Syndergaard. (laughs) I wasn't totally under a rock yesterday. I did see the tweet uh, Noah sent out, or to directly to Steven Matz of um, Tom and jumping out of that the window. That was the best thing. Just, I, I love... By the way, if you didn't see the tweet, he said, Hey, Steven, you want to talk more about bone spurs? Steven Matz? Matz? And then just showed Tom and the gif of him diving out of the window yeah. from the season finale of Game of Thrones. Just, uh, yeah, spoilers, I guess, by the way. Um, I just love the way Noah interacts on this team. Um just just about everything he he's does. winning on social media oh, he's great at every corner he's but he's he's figured out i mean because he's he's younger than us he's figured out how to like carry that internet savvy across him being just a good pitcher too he's like oh yeah i can have fun on social media without taking it to these absurd levels and just i'm just gonna post ridiculous things and here's not a picture of like me eating a bowl of spaghetti it's just ah, here's me and I drew my face next to like Cologne, and I wanted to be in the uh, home run derby for pitchers only too, but they didn't have me on the ESPN thing, so I made a paint picture as well. I just I like the way he interacts on social media. Well, speaking of spaghetti, a little kid sent him a project where he, I guess, drew Noah Syndergaard and put spaghetti as as his hair, and Noah wrote back, "That's the best you can do." And before anyone killed Noah for killing this little kid, Noah was like, "Hey, sorry, that was really harsh." Here's an autograph ball from me. Like, caught himself being an ass and corrected himself before anyone else. I mean, maybe somebody told him, but it looked like he did it all on his own and then completely fixed his mistake. So not only is he a master on Twitter, when he does misstep, he goes ahead and corrects himself. So I don't, I don't even know if that's him being an ass, though. I just Because he's made so many, like, he's, I feel... I well, feel Dan like being sarcastic yeah, to a he's made, Yeah, he's so. being sarcastic, but like you've seen him with his MS Paint drawings, and they're awful, but they're funny because they're awful. So I feel like he's, this kid's thing, he's like, oh, that's probably a little bit better than my MS Paint, so I'll be like, is that the best you can do? And then I guess he realized, oh, he's six, he doesn't even understand sarcasm yet, so here's a ball, you know? Right. 
Well, he's been really good. And the situation in general was just really entertaining. You know, Adam Rubin is such a professional and does a really good job getting information and facts. And and I understand what it's like. I've been in the trenches. And to have somebody lie to you to your face is tough. And, you know, the thing about it is if you go and vent on Twitter, I guess what you're trying to do is let your fans or let, you know, people who read your articles know that you didn't do anything wrong. You just were reporting the facts and that you're kind of bummed out that you were lied to. But, of course, Twitter is always going to win because Twitter is like a really immature middle school, you know, dick, right? Like the middle school bully. So if you go and complain or if you try and get any sympathy at all on Twitter, you are absolutely going to get crushed. So people were kind of, you know, saying that Noah had had killed Adam and that's what happened. So I was entertained by it. Um, We had a good time laughing about it. And you're right. Noah rules on social media. How did Adam take it? Like when it happened, did he seem to take it as a joke in jest or was he uh, a little bit peeved by it? I think he was a little bit of both. I think he was kind of like, oh, really? You read my (laughs) tweets and now you're going to give me a box of tissues. Now you're going to make me the story. (laughs) So and then Adam got a lot of hate on Twitter. But he was saying that he just went through and was blocking a bunch of people. And he was like, this is a long night. So I think he, you know, it, it wore on him a little bit. But, you know, he's a tough guy. He can take it. And so I think it was just kind of water under the bridge after that. All right, moving on to another story that happened this week. Former Tennessee women's basketball coach and really a pioneer in the sport, Pat Summit passed away this week at the age of 64 from early-onset dementia. 1,098 career wins, the most in D1 college basketball history. But she was really much more than her win total or her eight national championships. She was a leader and a role model to so many female athletes. And we're joined now by one of those athletes who was impacted by the greatness of Pat Summit. Julianne Viani, a former college basketball player at Marist and current analyst for MSG Networks, along with CBS Sports and ESPN. Julianne, thank you so much for joining me. Let's start first with the news. What was your reaction when you heard of Coach Summit's passing? Well, I I knew she was sick. And uh, on Sunday, I got word um, because I was doing a game, um, the New York Liberty, and uh, the whole there was there's a huge buzz about her basically being on her deathbed, and, and that was surprising. Everybody was around the arena wearing Tennessee um, shirts, so I knew that it was pretty bad, that she made a turn for the worse. I was a little surprised because um, I know with dementia, people usually, I don't know personally too many people that have dealt with it, but I know like people usually lose their minds before their bodies go, so I was a little surprised that it was happening so fast. Um, but, um, it, I mean, I knew it was coming and it really saddened me. It, it just was just, it, it was a tough time. It was a tough day for a lot of people because we all knew, uh, she was on her way out. And so I was surprised, <laughs> I think, but not at the same time, just cause we knew she was really sick. Yeah. And that was kind of the, the overwhelming reaction was, you know, people were, you know, it was kind of a, a waiting game almost. But then when you actually heard the news, it was a little more shocking than anything. You played against Tennessee in the Sweet 16 when you were at Marist and you had a chance to actually meet Coach Summit. What was that interaction like? Well, you know, it was really brief when I met her because she was, you know, an opponent and, you know, I talked to her a little bit. But, um, you know, Pat, playing against her was interesting and just, you know, being around her because she has a presence about her. She's just one of those people that, you know, um, when she walks into a room, she just carries herself in such a confident way, but she's actually pretty humble in person. <laughs> and, um, you know, I, I mean, I just have the utmost respect for her. And as a little girl, you know, I looked up to her. She used to come around the recruiting circuits 
um, with along with other big league coaches, you know, when we were playing AAU and, and everybody would always like, wow, that's Pat, that's Pat. Like, oh my gosh, you know, like she would just create such a buzz among like the youth growing up because we all were like aspiring to play for her or against her. Um, she carried that kind of weight. And so she has a presence about her that just, um, like she's a mighty giant, you know, um, because she's just so respected. Um, and she can be intimidating. I'll, I'll be honest. Uh, she's intimidating <laughs> as a person and, and as a coach, she's tough and, uh, so, yeah, <laughs> I think there's an intimidation factor there, too, because of all her success. And, um, you know, but she can disarm you, though, once you start talking to her. But at first, you're, you're very intimidated. <laughs> <laughs> Out of all the stories that you've heard this week from the college basketball circuit, anything specific stand out to you? Well, I think I think that it's just the things that stand out to me the most about what you hear about Pat is that... Um, is about her as a person, you know, um, that, you know, she was able to pull out the best out of her players from what I was hearing and the buzz that I was hearing from former players and different people. Like, you know, that I think was what impacted me the most is that she, you know, she always had a hundred percent graduation rate, which is pretty amazing, you know, and she wasn't just a coach. She was a teacher. She was, you know, she would have the girls over for like, I know my sister played at Villanova and, um, you know, um, when she played Villanova, Harry Peretta and Pat were really close and she had, she had the whole Villanova team over for dinner at her house. And like, um, you know, my sister, I was talking to her the other day about it and she's just like, Pat was so awesome. You know, she just hosted us like, like a mom, like a friend, like, you know, just forget the fact that we were playing each other the next day. And she was just really kind, you know, that was back when Carol Austin was playing too for Pat. So, um, the fact of the matter is like the stories that I heard were just, just all about her as a person and that, you know, she was a really good person, you know, and it's nice that you're not just making a legacy as a coach, but you know, you're impacting people's lives as well. Let's talk a little bit about that legacy. What do you think her legacy is in terms of how she impacted Division One basketball? Well, when I think of her, I think of KL a little bit because, like, if you look at what KL um, has done, like, just she was always you hear all the stories about her, and and then she passed away from cancer and stuff, and and you hear all the stories about how she impacted players. Well, I think that Pat even more so um, has such an incredible legacy, like that. It really can't be matched because it's, she her, she started in that era. I mean, she's the one that got women's basketball and uh, just going and getting the crowds and the fans into it between her and like Gino Ariema. I mean, they really brought uh, women's basketball to another level. So I think that she just really proved that like a, a woman coach can do it too. Like she's a female coach and she was able to have the kind of success that she had. Um, and it, her impact on basketball, will, it will forever ring true because nobody's really been able to match her in what she's done. And the only reason she had to stop uh, was because she got sick. So, you know, she would have kept ticking away for years to come coaching and going if she hadn't gotten sick. So, I mean, it can't be matched her legend, like her, her legacy. And that's one of almost the, the most absurd parts about this is that she passed away so young and she would have had even you know a greater impact had she kept coaching and we would have been able to see this legacy grow and grow but it's right. an amazing legacy you know uh in and of itself and what she has done now that she's gone do you see anyone who could be the next pioneer in the game to keep this sport growing 
Well, you know, I mean, I always think of Gino Ariama with her, but he's, I mean, he's kind of in the same category as her because the, the two of them are always, along with Muffet McGraw, like kind of the three, I feel like, coaches that have paved the way in women's basketball. And I mean, I don't think anyone that I can see currently can, can truly match her. You know, I mean, you look at Tara Vanderveer, you look at all these coaches that are, are pretty top in the game, but I don't think I can compare somebody to Pat Summit because she's just, she's just such a legend. You know, I mean, there's so many great coaches and I think only time will tell. The only person I can compare her to at all is Gino Ariama, you know, because at UConn, because the two of them have that killer instinct as coaches that I don't know that assassin competitive mentality that has gotten them where it's gotten them, you know, and I, I don't yet see anybody actually quite like the two of them at all <laughs> coming up, but I, it's early. I mean, who knows? We, we'll see over the years who can rise to the top and, you know, the cream always rises to the top. So I think that, um, um, I think that there is a lot of potential. Dawn Staley is, uh, is, is definitely rising to the top fast at South Carolina. I mean, if you think about what she's done the last few years, she turned South Carolina around completely and really brought them to, you know, the finals, you know, I mean, all the way down to the final four and stuff. So I think she could be, um, a coach that continues to rise in the ranks because she's already proven it in a short period of time. So we will see, but Pat's in her own category at the moment. (laughs) Yeah, she absolutely is a pioneer gone too soon. Julianne Viani, thank you so much for joining us. College basketball analyst. You can see her on CBS sports, ESPN, MSG networks, and you can follow her on Twitter at Julianne Viani. Thank you, Julianne. Appreciate it so much. No problem. Thanks, Alexa. All right, that'll do it for this week on That's What She Said. Kyle, thank you so much. Joey, thank you, as always, for having us, and let's go get a snack.